Greetings. Welcome to the Asana Kitchen Podcast. I'm David Garig. And before I get started, I um, just want to tell you a little bit about some upcoming events I have. So um, this winter I'll be teaching in um, Tangao, Sri Lanka on the southern coast. It's a very beautiful place. From, and I'll be doing that from December 3rd to the January 26th. And so you can come um, for one week or the whole time. Um, it's an all-level thing. And, um, and love to work with you there in a Mysore intensive. Okay, and, and then also I'm giving um, three weekend work, workshops this fall, uh, one in Oklahoma City, one in Raleigh, and one in Louisville. So you can get the dates and particulars on my website. And so I'd love to see you at um, any of those events. And then also um, I'm having a sale going on this, this Labor Day weekend. It lasts to, through tomorrow, um, September 5th. And so that's a nice 25% off um, all my books and um, video courses and things. You can also, you can get my new book, um, the epic, really uh, amazing, if I do say so myself, <laughs> Ashtanga Yoga Vinyasa, uh, amazing thorough uh, walk through the vinyasas of the primary series. All right, so let's jump into our subject. We'll start off with uh, just three ohms. She'll start off with some context, all right? So the, we've got the eight limbs, right? Ashtanga yoga. And the first limb is called yama, which is uh, restraints. And so there's five yamas. And, um, and those are um, ahimsa, or non-violence, non-harming. Satya, not truth, not honesty, or non-lying. Uh, brahmacharya or sorry, asteya, which is uh, non-stealing, brahmacharya, which is uh, uh, chastity or um, chaste conduct or um, conserving and really um, directing one's creativity to a very um, high degree. And then our fifth one, aparigraha, which is... um, non-possessiveness, non-grasping. Um, it's even translated as non-receiving. And, um, and I'm going to go into, go into the particulars of this. Um, so I'm going to rely on um, the Yoga Sutras a bit and um, just give you a few of the my favorite translators. They're one line, uh, one word tr- translation of that aparigraha, and and then we'll also look at a little bit later. The there's one sutra that tells you 
what's the benefit you get when you're established in this fifth yama? And so um, Vyas Houston, he calls it um, non-possessiveness. Okay, so um, non-possessiveness. And Barbara Stoller Miller, uh, she calls it non-greed, non-greed. And, um, and so there you have it. It's just that simple. The, the, you're looking at mm, like one of the seven deadly sins, right? It's just a very standard uh, human kind of um, dark aspect, like uh, a way we respond to the world kind of instinctually or vis uh, viscerally is to act in our own self-interest. And, um, and I am going to just give you a few definitions of the word greed. Um, before we go into the particular word, because the aparigraha itself is such a fascinating uh, word. So, so greed itself is, um, and I, I, I'm partly um, going into this definition of greed because um, there's paradox involved in this. And I hope that you make that clear um, th through the through this talk, which is it's a very tricky um, tricky thing practicing these restraints, okay? And so greed is a very strong wish to get more of something, um, especially food, food, money, um, or power, okay? And then it's a strong di desire for more wealth, possessions power than one needs. And, um, and it actually comes from uh, the root of it, of the word greed, is um, basically just excessively eager to possess. Um, or, or you can go to even uh, more instinctual or foundational human thing, which is voracious hunger. Okay, so, so this is the thing we're trying to restrain, is this voracious hunger that we, um, we have inside of us, and this um, kind of, well, this um, just innate built-in tendency to be excessively eager to possess um, all kinds of things, right? And um, so, So, and I, the, for me, the exploration of um, each yama, I take it really wide. So I go, um, I just really explore all the possible avenues of meaning and um, application and within my practice and then also just um, in my life. But at the same time, so I don't want to lose sight of just the basic um, thing, like, um, and that's why I brought in Vyas Houston and Barbara Stoller Miller, is because 
to just keep it very basic. It's, um, it's observing this desire to possess within yourself and restraining. Okay, and um, so non-possessive, non-greed, th that's, that's the yama. And um, that's the root, okay? And, but, and then when you've kind of got that root clear, then we can go and out into more um, kind of different explorations of what, what the word could mean. And, or the concept. And it's very interesting what the Yoga Sutras do with um, three of the Yamas, which is they put them in the negative. Okay, and so the, the word is, it, it's, it's not really a parigraha, it's parigraha. And when, it, when it's a parigraha, it's the opposite of parigraha. Okay, and so that's just already very interesting um, and very uh, intelligent um, because well, for several reasons. One is is that um, parigraha is something um, essential to the human being. It's something we all need. And so I'm going to read you some of the definitions of parigraha. Um, we, and it's interesting to look at it. So wrapping around is, um, or putting a fencing around. See, it's like um, kind of a protective thing where we protect ourselves or we protect our property by wrapping around or putting a, um, a fence around something. Okay, and then, and then get this. Parigraha is also understanding. It goes that kind of um, basic. Uh, it's uh, understanding. And, um, and so, so, and then we'll go to a parigraha. And it's funny because like, so a parigraha is telling you that somehow understanding is not desirable, that you want the opposite of understanding. <laughs> and, um, and, it's, and it's like, um, it's partly because we get so possessive of our ideas, right? So possessive of what we think we know about ourselves and um, our, uh, what we think, what we feel. And, and then also out in the world, like what people, what's motivating people or situations. So, and that, um, that sort of possession that we take of perspectives and beliefs and opinions um, is, can be lethal, okay? And because um, it can shut us off to um, so many possibilities of, um, and so many, kind of blind spots that we can have when we jump too soon to thinking that we've, we know something or really understand what it's all about. Okay, and, um, and then, so, and then built into Parigraha too is really extreme things um, like um, Parigraha is a wife, a wife <laughs> and a house, okay? And, 
So this is partly if you get if you take the real strict um, kind of it's a the yamas practicing the yamas is, it says in the yoga sutras that it's um, a great vow a mahavratam to practice them, and so it's um, it's very extreme and um, in, intense and far-reaching. Um, it can be the practice of these five um, restraints, and um, it's. It extends to the. It's like the vow of a monk or a nun, okay. And so there's a kind of um, po poverty, uh, a living in poverty aspect to the extreme of a parigraha. It's, you don't take a wife. You, you're not. So you don't have a family. Uh, you don't have possessions. You don't have a house or possessions. And in the extreme, that you 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 wander and beg and um, and live the life of like a a sadhu, a super ascetic. Okay, and it's um, so obviously that um, extreme interpretation of the concept, if we were to only think of a parigraha as that, then we would not think of it as relevant to us, okay, because most of us are not going to go that far. Um, at, right? We're going to have the wife or husband or partner, we're going to have. Um, the house, the job, the possessions, this uh, station in the world, okay? And so to me, though, I, I like to include the more extreme um, extent of the range of what this means. Um, well, for one, it's because it's reality, right? That this is um, part of the history of yoga and part of how yoga is interpreted and so I want to know that, even if I'm personally maybe not going to go to that extent. Um, and then also, to me, there's a mythic element or a symbolic element or a, um, a kind of image of um, something important in, in my life as a guiding light, in a way, even... Um, if I'm not going to reach that all the way to it, which what I'm saying is, if I know that that part of yoga is you know to shun possessions and home, and then I can put a little bit less importance on those, or I can be less less possessive of those, and not right, and not be so graspy and um, Dependent upon those things, and um, and and it's it's helpful to have that kind of radical, striking image of being um, voluntarily homeless and um, possessionless and partnerless in pursuit of a spiritual um, experience, a spiritual life, right? Um, Okay, and then um, the another two more definitions of parigraha that I want to say, which is, um, and this is strong in itself. This one, it's receiving or anything um, received. All right, and um, I didn't read it to you, but Swami Vivekananda, his translation of the Yoga Sutras, he he translates. A parigraha into non-receiving, 
And that's very different than non-greed or non-possessiveness. And it, um, when you read commentaries on the text, they, um, they say, like, not receiving gifts and things like that, and, um, which applies. But I also like to explore it um, even further, which is, um, it's, it's like, um, I, would, I take it, I go from non-receiving, because that's a weird word to me, um, because I feel that actually the universe is constantly giving, and, there, and there's absolutely no way not to receive. That to be alive and awake is to be receiving um, whether you recognize it or not. So, the, so, so there's no way not to receive. But I, what if it was non-taking or non-getting? You see, that, that to me is interesting to explore, and, um, which means that, and, and I juxtapose like taking with giving. Okay, so, so in a way then, partly what, what's happening when I feel, when I'm greedy, or I feel somehow that I'm lacking and I don't have enough, is that I feel like I need to get, I need to take. And, um, and if you really watch yourself in action, it's quite amazing how much we're invested in getting our result, getting our return, getting something very um, tangible for when we put energy into something. Right? And, um, and so it's a really interesting place to go to, um, to only think of giving to a situation. Not what I will get or receive from it, but what am I giving to it? And so it's, it's a very uh, shift in perspective. And, and the fact that a parigraha is put in the negative it, it means that there is going to be this automatic part of us that wants to take and get and receive. And, and so, so we have to kind of, um, it's like a mudra where we um, cultivate the opposite, where we take one force and, and apply a counterforce to it. And the counterforce is, is to basically to give to a situation. Um, and like, and you can take your practice um, as an easy example, right? And because we 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 tend to practice for benefits, right? We we want to get stronger, we want to get flexible, we want to be more healthy, um, and then and we and then we get very um, intense about the actual particulars, like we want to put our leg behind the head, we want to drop back, we want to do all these poses and we get very attached, very possessive and very ambitious and goal-oriented potentially in those, all those things. And, um, and so, so we have to be careful there and see um, and, and switch the perspective to, um, to giving. And then also, this is where uh, some very interesting um, things come up, which is like the whole thrust of the Bhagavad Gita, 
or, or one of its, um, its main points is um, it's, a, it's a kind of um, analysis of action um, in uh, that Bhagavad Gita, right? And, um, and so partly, it, and it's um, the, the setup of the Bhagavad Gita is um, a yogi, so, like a, a very um, accomplished yogi that's kind of represent the everyday person like you and I um, is hesitating to um, take action when um, that's what's called for. And then God, in the form of a man, uh, Krishna, is basically uh, arguing, urging him, this Arjuna, to take action. Okay, And, and there, so there's this whole rollout of... Um, reasons why Arjuna needs to act, okay? And, um, and so, so that's just that, and we're not really, that's not our subject. But one of the, mo the most interesting things about it is that how, partly how you get to a place where you can act, take action, um, is by letting go of the results of the action, okay? And this is just hammered in that Bhagavad Gita. And, and so he's, he, on one hand, he's telling Arjuna that he's, he's got to take up arms and, um, and go fight the battle that needs to be fought. But he also needs to detach from the results and, um, and not be ambitious or looking for gain to it. And... Um, and at one point, he actually says, says it like this. He says, you have the right to your action. You have the right <laughs> to your action, um, but not its fruits. OK, and, and so you see, and this is the thing is, um, It's the interesting um, paradox that you have to be able to sort of withstand to really practice the yamas and, um, and to go into them deeply. Because the idea of wrapping around, say, these, these basic things of parigraha, that uh, wrapping around, building a fence around, and, um, and even an understanding, um, these are desirable things. These are like um, important. Like you, you, you have to protect your yourself and um, put proper boundaries around um, your your thoughts, your feelings, your communications, your relationships with others, and um, even your possessions. Right? Um, and and so and then also, you, it's okay to try to know something. To, to that. so partly that's what the action is. It's, um, it says that in the Bhagavad Gita that yoga is skill in action, right? So it's saying that yoga is not necessarily renunciation of action, like um, chitta vritti naronaha, but it's so, so presenting this kind of paradox or juxtaposition where on one hand, yoga is said to be the cessation of action, right? Which is exactly the meaning of chitta vritti naronaha. And, and yet, yoga is also skill in action, okay? And, um, and skill in action means that you do it right. <laughs> you do it good. You there's skill behind 
um, what you do. There's understanding. There's knowledge. And, um, and so um, and you can even go as far as saying that if you go back to that original um, definition of gr greed, that um, of so so you understand greed's a very strong um, wish to get more of something, okay? And and you understand that that in itself is not a bad thing, okay? It's a, it's good to want to get more strength or flexibility or more tolerance or more compassion, right? Um, and um, and yet it can be excessive. So it can go over into um, something something negative. And um, and so. It's something that, something very, very deep that we're talking about, okay? And um, it, because you, uh, that, that, I like the word they use, the wish. It's a wish. It's a strong wish. And so what you can say is that The, the whole pursuit of yoga is, it, you can sum it up as to have a very strong wish. <laughs> okay, and, and like your desire, that, that, that visceral yearning, that uh, deep wanting that um, that we all feel, that voracious hunger. Okay, so that um, in a it, you could say in its positive sense or in its its most root essence, this is the whole driving. It's a pr principal driving force of our lives, right? And um, and it's to be honored. Right, so we're we, that yoga is kind of the, it's the pursuit of finding your greatest, um, kind of most noble wish, for your life, and in a certain way, then you you're trying to sift, sift through and eliminate or leave slough off, lesser wishes, lesser desires, right, and so. So. Um, So while the, there's a good reason that greed is one of the seven deadly sins, I mean, that because it's so prevalent, right, that our possessiveness and our acquisitiveness and um, that it's so sticky, so um, prominent, um, and it's so easy to corrupt and go into imbalance um, that it's one of the restraints, right? And... Um, but it's not nuanced enough 
to me to just say that you're trying to cut um, all desire, right? All, and um, and this, this yama is pretty close to the, the, the one before, the brahmacharya, because that's also connected with desire. It's like, um, and, and desire is this kind of root uh, force, this root aspect of um, energy that's generating life itself, right? And our, our own life, and, and it's something to be harnessed and... Um, really tapped into and um, explored to its greatest extent. Okay, even though there's, a, there's big danger involved in that pursuit, which is why there's need for restraint. That, and it's so interesting to put um, that the, in the second definition of greed, it's saying that, so a strong desire for more wealth, possessions, power, than one needs. See, and that's a very tricky slope right there. Like, so how much do you need, right? And, and, um, <laughs> and this is uh, something you have to explore, and, and, and every person within themselves. And the See, one of the real sticky parts about greed and um, non-greed and thinking about um, how much do, you, do I need is the comparison and, and envy. So, so greed and envy are very close to each other, right? And, and partly we, get, um, we, we want more power or more wealth or more something because we see that somebody else over there has it, right? And so, so we want that. And, um, and so this is very tricky um, to kind of stay contained within yourself and, um, and really go to this place of um, how much do I need? Me, this entity, this David, and, um, and, and further, it, what is the minimum that I need? Like not what is the maximum, but what is the the the, the minimum, and um, and then also the whole idea of um, taking versus giving. How much do I need to take or get versus give? And um, and so. So again, the, the, there's more to this all that I'm going to touch upon, but it's a very, actually, very deep subject. Um, but I'm going to go into the what they say the signs that greed are in place. Um, there's uh, in one little thing online, there were seven of them, and I thought they were pretty good. So one is, is that uh, the greed is um, a greedy. When I'm being greedy, I'm self-centered. It's like um, one definition is ruthlessly self-serving. Okay, and um, and so unable to really consider the needs or wants of others, but just really tuned into what I what I need, and then um, I need or want or desire, right? And and then envy is one. 
So being envious is a sign of greed, and um, potentially, right? And um, lacking empathy. Okay, so sometimes in that ruthless self-interest, we can um, stop being compassionate towards others or um, lack empathy. And I, I read this about this study online that was so fascinating. Wow. So they did this rigged um, Monopoly game where they gave half the players um, all these advantages, like they got more money to start with, they got to roll two dice instead of one, and they got double the amount of um, cash when they passed go. And so like these um, players quickly um, got the advantage and were the clear um, winners in the game. And the, the further it went, went on, the less empathy and compassion they had towards the, um, the people that were, didn't get those advantages. Like they were um, made fun of their, them and all, like they were started power tripping and like oh, crazy um, craziness that can happen um, in um, this, what's that? Yeah, in capitalism and, and just in our, um, like, the, this whole acquisitiveness, like, the, it, it, right, it's a very, um, it's crazy how much it can make us disregard others. And, um, and so um, never satisfied is another one. And... Um, And that, I mean, that's about all I want to go into that. Um, and, but all of those things, that um, being self-centered, envious, lacking empathy, empathy, never satisfied. You see, this, it, it all points to something very crucial um, to me that, that I, I kind of want to, um, this is my last big point in this podcast. And it... It's revealed in that Yoga Sutra that tells you what benefit you get from being established in um, this uh, non-possessiveness or non-receiving. And um, actually, before I tell you that benefit, I do want to say that there, it, the paradox is just an essential part that we need to be able to hold um, Meaning that we have to be able to entertain these very contradictory um, concepts or themes. And because to, to me, the whole idea of non-getting, non-taking, non-receiving, um, if you put it in the positive, I, I call it radical self-reliance. Okay, so we're not dependent. I'm not dependent on um, things outside of myself, or I reduce that to the barest Minimum, and I certainly don't have like ruthless self-serving motives for um, kind of getting things from others or situations, right? That so there's this um, independence and self-reliance that aparigraha um, sort of calls for, or um, you can open into, and yet that. That self-reliance is not self-centeredness. It's not a disregard for others. And it, it, it's not just like, 
me making this insular world all of my own that, um, that I don't need anybody in. Or, yeah, that's not the type of self-reliance we're talking about. And, and what it is, is revealed in this sutra. And I would say that it's, it's um, self-reliance so that you can give to this world. That is basically it. That you can be a generous giver to the world. Um, yes. So I'm going to read you Vyas Houston's translation of that uh, that because uh, it's each one has a little bit different um, flavor to it each translation but he, this one's the closest one to what I find helpful and it's so it's upon a foundation in a parigraha so this is sutra 239 if you're if you're interested so when you when you're establishing a foundation of a parigraha then there's an understanding uh, for what reason you were born <laughs> so it goes to this very deep place of why are you here um, what what is happening? And, um, and, and so to me, that it's we're not just plopped out here randomly, okay? That everything that, um, that w all the particulars of us coming into the world, like the time, the, the place, the, um, the parents, and then the, the, our own individual factors like the particular arms and legs and spine that we got and the eyes and ears, all our senses and the way our mind operates and the different bents, like we have certain tastes and likes and dislikes automatically. So we're not coming out as clean slates, right? And, um, and there's something purposeful behind all those particulars. And, um, and, and it's what called you can call it dharma or a mission or sacred work or sacred duty okay so each of us has some kind of very important work to do here in this world and um and it's um i want to read to you a little bit of um so james hillman he um he has a book on the subject that's amazing the soul's code it's called, um, it's called The Soul's Code in Search of Character and Calling. Okay, and uh, it's an excellent title because it's like there's a code in each one of our soul that we have to kind of uh, crack and uh, unravel and, and um, work, find the mystery, and, it, and we have to search for it. This, um, our particular character or our... our um, our way of interpreting the world, our way of seeing and sharing, um, we're trying, that's our whole mission in our life is to, um, to unearth that. And uh, so he calls it, um, and he gets it, he said that it, it comes from um, Plato, actually, in Plato's Republic. And um, so... Um, so, it, it, and I'll just read you a few little lines that he, he says. So, th in a nutshell, this book is about calling, 
about fate, about character, about innate image. And together they make up an acorn theory, which holds that each person bears a uniqueness that asks to be lived and that is already present um, before it can be lived. Okay? And, um, and, so, and, and so it says that this book sets out on a new course based on an old idea, which is each person enters the world called. Okay? And, um, and that comes from the Plato, from his myth of air at the end of, his, of the Republic. Okay, and, um, and then I'll give you a, one, a couple more, one more. Um, so it says that the soul of each of us is given a unique... Oh, and then this part. This is the hardest part and the most interesting part. You see, it says that he says that we're given this kind... He calls it a daemon or a guardian angel or a genius, like some kind of um, guiding presence that's not our ego that's supposed to help us to discover this sacred work or our duty. And, um, and so here he says, he talks about it. He says, the soul of each of us is given a unique daemon um, before we are born. And it has selected an image or a pattern that we live on earth. Okay, and he calls it, he says, this soul companion. So we, it's soul meaning S. O-U-L. We have a soul companion that the daemon guides us um, here in, and in the process of arrival and then, oh, in the process of arrival, however, we forget all that that took place and we believe we come empty into this world. And, and the daemon remembers what it is um, that in your image and, and sort of and what and belongs to your pattern. And so therefore, this daemon is the carrier of your destiny. And, um, and then one last thing about it is, um, oh, he, a couple of things, sorry, one other thing. So he calls it, he has different um, names for it, which I, I think is good. Like, it's an image. So it's an image of your, the self that you are to become. Um, as part is one way of seeing it, or um, the character, um, or genius, calling, daemon, soul, destiny. So, and, and all those are kind of um, interchangeable. And then, um, <clears throat> see, and this is what I want to point out to you is that. And this is very related to this conversation about greed, and I'm going to circle it back around here momentarily, but um, I'm just trying to present this to you. And he, here's the, the kicker on this. So he says this really early on in the book. He says that the daemon, so this idea of some kind of soul companion or a guiding spirit that's, um, that's on your, in your court and helping um, and so it says that the demon has your interest at heart may be the part of the theory that's particularly hard to accept, right? That, that the heart has its reasons. Um, and Oh, it's an unconscious with its... 
So it's saying that it's so hard that, um, that there's an unconscious with its own intentions, that fate plays in a hand in how things turn out. And, um, and then, oh, I see, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I messed that up. Basically, though, he's saying, why is it so difficult to imagine that I'm cared about, that something takes an interest in what I do, that I am perhaps protected, maybe even kept alive, not altogether by my own um, will and doing. Okay, and, um, and so, so you understand that this idea of about the great wish, so we, uh, that's what I was saying, that yoga is like trying to pursue the greatest wish that's um, stored in my soul, like for my life. And, um, and for some reason, that, that work is veiled. It's um, obscured. It is, uh, we forget or we lose track of it. And this is where the greed enters in, that we keep trying to get things that we think we want and, um, and in the process we are ignoring or turning away from or not uh, letting that, this deeper part um, come into our life and be the center of it. Right? And, um, and it's funny because it's built into the Yoga Sutra. Because, uh, like, in that sutra, Yoga Chitta Vritti Nirodaha, it says, right, that yoga happens when the activity stops, um, the activity of the mind. And then, um, and then this is the, then. Tada drashtahu swarupe avastanam. Okay, and so when that happens, um, so in a, in a sense you can say that all those kind of superficial thoughts and um, things that we take possession of, that we identify with um, in our personalities and our um, even our outer circumstances, that to yoga is to a certain way is to kind of withdraw from all of those um, activities of the mind that were the things that we're identifying with and come into this kind of silent place, this place of pure receptivity. And, um, and then when that happens, our swarupa, the intrinsic essence as a seer to the world, the drashtahu, um, happens. Okay, and, it, and if you look at that word, Swarupa, it's, it's very much like th what James Hillman is talking about. So it's saying um, it's a unique, um, deep, original, not imitative. It means intrinsic essence, but it also it means these things, this kind of unique thing, the, the most unique thing that's housed or secreted away at the center of you. Um, and it's deep and original. It's not imitative. So it's not what somebody else has or um, does. It's, it's entirely your own thing. And, um, and then also, it's, this is in the definition of Swarupa. I'm not making this up, okay? It's given to you by the source. <laughs> okay, so this is not something your ego is deciding. It's not like you, 
that's not how the world operates, is that you, so you, can, you come out here and you can do anything. Like we like to have that idea that yeah, anything you can dream up, you can do. And this is not true. This is, uh, that, that in fact, it's, it's, we're shunted and um, kind of routed into quite specific channels. And within the, the shunting and channeling, there's a lot of possibilities. But at the same time, this is not David, my shallow ego, and my little concerns about myself is not dictating the terms here. Okay, it's given to you by the source before you were born. And, um, and so, and then that next sutra, so and understand what I'm telling you about, this sutra sets up the whole pro, uh, hypothesis of the yoga sutras, right? It's the beginning, it's the, this is the foundation. And then it says when there's vrittis, when there's activity, when we're identifying with the more superficial aspects of um, self, then we're conforming to those things. And, um, okay, and so you understand that to a certain degree, I, 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 at least I play this game and I, I encourage you to do it, is that when I feel greed, when I feel grasping, when I feel envious, when I become self-centered, that um, I feel I don't have enough and I need more and I can't be satisfied, it, it, somehow I'm off the chart, I'm off the track of that core thing that's, um, that's supposed to lead my life, okay? And, um, and so, so that, and this is what I'm telling you, that um, in a certain way, that once my ego accepts that there's something else leading the show, um, providing guidance, then, um, then I can start to see that um, the idea of the greatest wish in a different context, right? So it's not just the wish of little David. No, in fact, David is trying to discover this what's within him, what's in a greater kind of context and, um, and follow that. And, um, and then, um, it, at least theoretically then, greed, those envy and those things kind of, uh, they become easier to deal with or they, they lessen and, um, and also fall away altogether, right? And, and so I, pr I give you that whole perspective because it's not like, to me, it's not like I'm just sitting here trying not to be greedy, right? Trying not to, trying to curb my desires and um, not be possessive. Like that, th that, that's a certain, uh, there's a certain mileage or importance to that that just as a basic disciplined human being that I, I practice restraint and I curb my appetites. But, but also there's this much more um, kind of powerful, um, or not more powerful, but equally powerful, um, very positive thing going on where the, those lesser desires that become excessive or whatever, those are, they're not the core. They're not really at the at the 
the depths of, of desire. And so, it, and so it allows me to think of my, when I desire as something positive and something, um, a, a force within me that I can um, direct and, and make use of. And I want to read you a few poems that kind of back, back this up. Um, one is a very simple one from Rumi, a beautiful, small little poem that's, wow. I wish I would have wrote that one. Uh, yeah, it's called The Music. And, and look at the terms he puts it in. So he says, for 60 years I have been forgetful every minute. Okay, and um, for 60 years, I've been forgetful every minute, but not for one second has this flowing towards me stopped or slowed. Okay, so that's this demon or this, um, this guiding spirit that's trying to show us, here's your sacred duty, here's where you're going, your, your real desire is going to be fulfilled, right? So not for one second has that flowing towards me stopped or slowed? And then he says, I deserve nothing, right? And so you have to get to that point because right, aparigraha, when you're greedy, you feel you deserve more. That's the whole deal. I feel like I deserve more, right? But here he just plays and he says it out. I've been forgetful every minute and I deserve nothing, okay? And then he says, Today, I recognize that I am the guest. I am the guest the mystics talk about. And I play this living music for my host. Everything today is for the host. Okay, and, and so hopefully, I mean, there's a lot to explore here and a lot to contemplate, and we can't, you know, exhaust it, not even close. We can just get a little start in it. But to a certain degree, you hope that, that this dharma or this calling that you have, that it, it, it not only transcends your ego, but it, 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 it leads to empathy. It leads to um, compassion and um, taking others into account. And it, pu it puts you in a position of giving to the universe rather than taking or getting. Okay, and so there's another one from, from Lala. That, uh, I'll read to you. If I can find it. Yeah, here we go. Okay, and so So again it says she says life is given Nothing is earned. This is an amazing thing. We are given this life. We didn't earn it. We're given it. 
And so, so her conclusion is, so learn to serve others, right? Rather than think that you earned that and it's, you deserve this or that. No, you, it was given to you. So learn to serve others, not your own desire and greed and ego. So the, those desire, greed, and ego, that steals your energies, and whereas devotion builds your strength and protects the intelligent flame um, that leads to the truth within. So that's another word for that daemon, the genius, the intelligent flame that leads you to the pith of yourself. Okay, and then one more. It's coming from uh, the Baal poets. Okay, and, um, and this one's just very, very basic. But I love it. Uh, so it, it says the body of a man or the body of a woman um, is a land for wish fulfillment. Okay, so that, I love that opening line. It already just... This is what we're here for. Okay, so it's, it's for wish. It's to fulfill your greatest wish. So your desire is, is so key to it, even though it can be corrupted in so many ways, right? And so it says the, the body of a man or woman is a land for wish fulfillment. Care will produce, care will produce a harvest of jewels, Plow it at a propitious time and um, hopes, and here it is, this line, hopes that ushered you into this material world will bear fruit. I love that, right? That Here's James Hillman over here, wherever he lives in Connecticut or somewhere, right? And then here's this wandering gypsy poet that sings, hopes that ushered you into this world Will bear, into, will bear fruit. And it says, action is the steel for your plow. And passions are the oxen. See, your passions, those are the oxen. Those, are, those aren't to be discarded or just um, unquestioningly cut. Sow your seeds on a ready land, and treasures will be yours at harvest time. And then the last line, the seed rests the seed rests in the root of the tree and it's so funny because that James Hillman the whole thing is the acorn theory which is that that blueprint of the of the, the gigantic oak tree the blueprint of it rests in the seed and here this poet's saying the same thing okay and then there's another one oh man this one this one's so good um, the challenging one Oh, this, that, this one's not... Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm going to read you this more simple one first, um, which I, I love this. It's just saying... Um, it's talking to God itself or the Creator. The, and it says, The shapes you have formed, my Lord, like a potter. So that's us. Each one of us. Vessel after vessel. The shapes you have formed, my Lord, like a potter. Vessel after vessel. So many of us, and everyone a little bit different. And um, tell the tale of divine caprice. 
at the landing stage of the river and in the open field and in the marketplace. So I read that one again, it's so good. The shapes you have formed, my Lord, like a potter, vessel after vessel, tell the tale of divine caprice at the landing stage of the river and in the open field and in the marketplace. So right all over the world, everywhere you see it. And it's divine caprice that has sort of uh, driven it. Okay, here you go with this one. This, so this whole thing about desire and, um, and greed and a strong wish that we have. So in, here, this poet, he says, while desire burns in the limbs, there is still time. <laughs> I love that. While desire burns in the limbs, there's still time. Boil the juice on the fire of longing to concentrate the essence. And then the sweetness of syrup will ferment and sour. So the sweetness of syrup will ferment and sour unless it is stirred on controlled heat. Feelings evolve from desire. Feelings evolve from desire. And love shoots forth from lust. Yeah, love. Pure love. Generous love. Altruistic love. That shoots forth from lust. And um, yeah. So, so there's a lot more possible uh, there. We, I have like, I'm surrounded by books and notes and things. And I didn't get to them all, but it's enough for today. And um, I really uh, encourage you, and I hope to in this can inspire you to, um, to embrace. See, because those yamas, they can be so harsh, so um, scolding in a way, or finger pointing. And, um, but they don't have to be that way, right? And, and you want to always try to interpret these um, ancient sacred teachings in ways that make sense to you, that, give, that help you to walk your path. And, um, and the, my feeling is, is that the, those ancients, there's deep intelligence um, behind what they put forth. And, but it was meant to be like opened up and explored uh, very, very widely and thoroughly and, um, and that's the job of each one of us, N not just to read the one line and then be done with it. All right. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. And um, Joy mentioned all those uh, upcoming opportunities to study with me, and I would love to see you and work with you. And, um, and then also remember the sale. Is happening. So you, it's got some very nice offerings there. And we'll close with three ohms. Oh.
Thank you for joining me for this uh, installment of the Asana Kitchen podcast. Namaste.